Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk with music that makes your skin vibrate. And my guest today is performance physiologist, author, scientist, athlete, and music fan, Dr. Greg Wells. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks so much so for coming out. Yeah, I'm so psyched to be here. This is going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, Greg, you've got quite a resume. Let's go through it, but let's start with what happened when you were just 15 years old. And, you know, I feel like that was the start of a path that took you to some pretty incredible places. Yeah. So my life changed when I was 15 and uh, I, I was a typical high school student, but I was a competitive swimmer and that was sort of my identity at the time. And I was training really hard with a bunch of my friends. We were all trying to make the Olympic team. Uh, and I ended up on a training camp down in Florida over March break, as you do. And uh, one of the mornings that we were there, we had a swim meet in the afternoon. And my buddies and I decided, like responsible athletes, we would go body surfing in the morning before <laughs> of course. the swim meet. And it was in uh, West Palm Beach. And so a big, huge wave on, on a beach called Juno Beach picked me and my buddy up and dropped us on the beach. Like I landed head first. Oh, he landed on his shoulder. He dislocated his shoulder. I broke my neck Wow! in a whole bunch of places. So it just shattered my spine. Uh, I managed to crawl out of the water. When I saw the x-rays later, my spinal cord literally like wrapped its way through all of the broken bones and didn't get hurt. Oh my God. So all the bones broke, all the ligaments were torn, but my spinal cord was fine. Thankfully, uh, ended up at the hospital many hours later. And, uh, yeah, they immediately put me into traction and put bolts into my head and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it all went from there. So yeah, it was a pretty crazy change of events at 15 years old. Good Lord. So you were lucky you know, to, to survive and not drown even. I mean, so many things had gone wrong. Quadriplegic. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was uh, – I had gone through it, so I wasn't that worried. Like yeah. as I was lying on the x-ray table, mm-hmm. literally like shit was hitting the fan, the – x-ray technician was like don't fucking move pardon me yeah. for swearing but oh, like no, literally no, no, they please. swore at me like they were yelling don't move yeah um and then you know people were running to get doctors and people were pinning me down and all that other stuff right and but i was super calm because for some strange reason what went through my head was well anything that could have happened would have already happened like i was on the beach got out of the water i was sitting on the beach i actually drove to the hotel to go get my medical insurance because they wouldn't let me into the hospital without my medical insurance you did all paperwork that. so oh I my went, god went home went back to the you know and by the time i got to the hospital it was probably three hours later and my whole spine all the muscles in my neck and my back had locked up and seized which was great that i was a swimmer they were strong enough to hold everything together and i felt it slip a whole bunch of times and it hurt like hell oh. but i could feel my muscles pull it back into place like wow in hindsight i'm like just mind blown that that actually I was I able too. to pull that off. Yeah. Um, but then once I was bolted, you know, like they put ice clamps, they, they look like ice clamps, uh, but there was bolts on either side of my head that were tra- tractioned up to a big, huge uh, weight to keep my spine straight while I was lying in bed. And I was there for a week. And that was, uh, you know, one of the things that actually saved me leading into the idea of music was my teammates came and saw me in the hospital. Uh, and one of them, Mike Rollison, brought me a, one of those old cassette player tapes with one cassette in it and that was all that i had in that ho- that hospital room and the guy next to me in the room was having like the worst he made me feel like there was nothing wrong with me like he was in way worse shape than i was yeah and they had to come in and suction out his lungs every few hours like oh. he was having a hard time breathing and it sounded like it was just he sounded like he was dying and so i just put on this headphones and just played you know in excess that one tape ah. over and over and over again yeah. for about eight 
days uh, as I was lying in the hospital. And thankfully, it was a good album. And I liked that album back then. But it that was the first time probably that music kept me sane in an incredibly difficult time because I could close my eyes and just go somewhere else. And it distracted me from the pain that I was in. And it kept me centered in, in myself rather than focusing on the poor guy that was next to me. So yeah, that was probably the first time that music, I, I can truly say that like music had a drastic impact on on fundamentally changing the way that I was able to function in a very difficult scenario. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, and after that, you went on to earn your kinesiology degree. Yeah, right. So I actually did end up getting back into swimming. So um, I was in traction for three months, then I had neurosurgery and spent the summer in physio. I was able to start swimming again in the following year. I ended up qualifying and swimming in Olympic trials, which is my neurosurgeon told me I would never be able to do. So that was yeah. kind of cool. Uh, and then that led me into my final year of high school and I ended up being able to swim fast enough to get a spot at the University of Calgary. We had a very good swim team at the time, probably you know, top two teams in the world at the time, uh, and then was able to train and get a kin degree. And I actually went to, I didn't make the Olympic team. Most of my friends did in 92 in Barcelona. Uh, but at the airport on the way home, uh, I ran into all the guys from TSN who were filming Olympic trials. And I said, look, all my friends made it. Do you guys need any help in Barcelona? And they were like, absolutely. So they gave me a card for the person who was in charge of the Olympic broadcast. I called him and he said, yeah, can any of your friends come? So me and two of my buddies ended up going to the Olympics anyway. So I had my Olympic experiences at TSN, you know, um, helping out with television and ended up with a kin degree and, you know, got back into the pool. So it all worked out in the end, but it was definitely an interesting time in my life for sure. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And of course, eventually uh, went on to get your uh, master's and, and PhD. Yeah. So I, um, when I graduated from my undergrad, I worked for a couple of years as a consultant and very rapidly ran up against the ceiling of only having a kinesiology degree. Uh, and so I went back and got a master's in exercise science and then ended up doing a PhD in uh, respiratory physiology. Uh, after that, I ended up doing uh, going on riding my bike across Africa because I was no one would hire me. <laughs> so I sold everything that I owned. Got oh, rid of really? Everything. Yeah. So I actually graduated from my PhD and couldn't get a job. So I literally sold everything that I owned. I had a bicycle and a tent and I flew to um, Khartoum, Sudan. Really? And joined up with the first ever Tour d'Afrique bike race and rode our, we rode our bikes uh, 11,000 K from, well, they rode from Cairo to Cape Town. I joined them in Khartoum, which is about a, you know, a little bit down Sudan's just underneath Egypt and rode all the way down to, uh, down to South Africa. And at the, speaking of music, again, the music on that trip was wild because when you're going through the Sahara and all the Arabic uh, music in the Sudan, I mean, I don't, I don't love it, but it was interesting. It was so different, but you're still, there's, there's that music in that culture. Then you get into sub-Saharan Africa and you end up with traditional African music, right? Which yeah. has that reggae sort of vibe to it, yeah. um, but it just penetrates, it penetrates you, right? It's totally different. And well, there was this one day that was wild. So we were cycling in Tanzania and we we're up and down through the clouds because we were cycling through the mountains and there was tea plantations everywhere and it was really amazing but still a really hard day because it's all climbing mountains and one of the one of the times I was by myself and I broke through the clouds coming up through the clouds over the top of one of these hills and there was a church on one of the one of the hills mm-hmm. and there was probably maybe 50 people singing and you can imagine what a choir in Africa sounds like it was just yeah. I'm as atheist as they come but that's made me sort of contemplate like, is there actually something going on here? Because it was so insanely beautiful in that one particular instant. And it was cool. Like I remember them turning and looking at me and waving and the kids ran over and they kept singing and dancing. Like it was just absolutely, totally mind blowing and emotional 
pull spiritual moment. Like it was just absolutely incredible. What an incredible setting. Yeah. Through the clouds. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then we finished. Uh, so then, yeah, that, that led me then to, um, after I got home from Africa, I ended up getting hired at Toronto sick, uh, hospital for sick children, worked there for a couple of years doing my postdoc, moved to Toronto general, did another postdoc. And then I ended up getting what was turned. I was a prof at U of T and a scientist at sick kids hospital and consulted with the Olympic team. And then, uh, subsequent to that, I've done a lot of public speaking and just started a consulting practice a few years ago. And that's where I'm at right, right now is just sort of traveling the world and speaking, consulting on health and human performance and reaching your potential. So folks, if you don't feel good about your achievements this morning, then I, uh, for, I forgive you for shutting off the podcast at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, we we're talking about your speaking schedule before we started rolling here. Yeah. And, uh, you're a sought after speaker, my friend. Well, it's been a nine-year run, right? So after the Olympics in 2010, I, I commentated the Olympics in 2010 for CTV, and I did a series called Super Bodies that went viral all over the world, which mm -hmm. was amazing. What I did was I took the science of the human body and described what was happening to the body in various different sports uh, at the Winter Olympics in Vancouver. And that was incredible because I got a chance to show the world what's like physiology of human performance, which is my deep passion. Uh, and then commentate throughout the games on what was happening with the Olympic medalists. Uh, and that was obviously an incredible Olympics. Vancouver and Whistler was an amazing. I did it again in London for the Summer Olympics. It was just incredible. Uh, out of that came requests to start doing speaking. And my first year, I only did like five. Mm. But every year, there was just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And we're seven years, uh, actually nine years in now. And it's become probably the number one thing that I do. I love it. I'm passionate about it. I love being able to share the science of the human body, tell stories, uh, and then give people really practical things that they can do to make their lives better. Because the reality is so many people are struggling right now. Mm -hmm. And I've actually found that the thing that I love to do the most is to help other people. Like if I want to say like, what's your mission or what's your purpose? Like, I just like helping people. And when you're on stage sharing science that's relevant for people, health, well-being, reaching your potential, I think that it's a cool way to try to transform people's lives. And I, and there have been some really cool moments. And I'm just like, I just wake up every day and I giggle that that's my this is my, my life and this is what I do. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, you're extremely good at it. I saw your talk at Speaker Spotlight. I, th I believe it was in January of this year. And it was great. It was a great blend of humor, great takeaway facts that are easily applied. Yeah. Cool. And, and it, it was just very entertaining. I really enjoyed it. Right on. Thanks. Yeah. So now the music part, Greg. Cool. So I've got your five songs here. All right. The first one is The Who and Baba O'Reilly. Yeah. So... I very clearly remember in about grade five or grade six, up until that point, actually, when I was a kid, I listened to classical. My mom and dad always had classical albums out and I would bring bring them out and put them on and play them. Even when I was like two, three, four years old, you know, the big, huge stereo things that we had in our <laughs> living rooms back then, like couch, you'd have the couch and bigger than your couch would be your stereo. Uh, and so I would play music on that. And then I transitioned into... I listened to a lot of country. I don't know how that happened, but I loved country music when I was a kid. Did your parents listen to it? No. Oh, really? Yeah. I, so I have no idea how that happened, but I had country music radio station on and I would record, you know, like all that sort of stuff. Mm. I loved Alabama was my favorite band when I was uh. a kid. Uh, and then I was on the bus on my way to swim practice. So I must've been like 10 or 11. And my buddy handed me his headphones. He said, you need to listen to this. And so I put on the headphones and I heard the opening chords to... Barbara O'Reilly, which a lot of people know is like Teenage Wasteland. Yeah. And my brain fundamentally changed in that instant. It was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. It went right into my spinal cord. Yeah. Um, I listened to that album over and over and over again. Who's next? Probably in my lifetime, I don't know, 100,000 times. Like uh, it was the soundtrack to more or less most of my life. I've seen The Who live 
20 times at least, uh, plus every little tiny bar that they've ever, you know, the guys have ever played in. So it was, it, it changed my brain in an instant. It's one of those iconic, you know, that moment at, at the end, that scream. That's super cool. And I've seen them, I've saw them play recently and they played with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra and they actually brought a violinist from the States with them. And at the end of that song, she got up and played violin through the conclusion of of the song and it oh. was super cool so even like i don't know when was that album released like 1972 mm-hmm. um you know and here we are in in 2019 and they're still managing to keep it i guess we'll call it fresh or whatever different and oh, like yeah. just new nuances coming into it but that was a a super cool moment to close out the last show that i saw with them yeah definitely that song will live forever yeah i guarantee yeah, yeah. totally yeah yeah uh, in excess, kiss the dirt from Listen Like Thieves. Well, that was one of the first few songs on that album that I listened to when I was in in the hospital, and it's sort of interesting. We're tracking the trajectory of my life, right? So, like mm-hmm. eleven or twelve years old, listened to the Who on the bus, brain changed into rock now, and started to explore all of this other stuff. I grew up in the '80s, so uh, that's like that whole era with with In Excess and Peter Gabriel and other bands like that. But that album that I listened to in the hospital. I still like it, like miraculously, even though I've listened to it under, <laughs> you know, the worst possible conditions over and over and over again. I replayed it and we, you know, when we were getting ready for this podcast. I listened to it on the car on the way here and it still sort of burns into my brain, right? And yeah. that's a great song. And I, It's interesting that it starts out so sort of slow, but it ends up in a very, very different place. And I, I love that transition and I love the energy that, uh, that that song finishes with and just sort of brings you to life. And yeah. Uh, like I said, even though I listened to that album a lot in a very bad situation when I was in incredible amounts of pain, I actually still still like it like 30 years later. Yeah, I remember I was uh, 16 when this came out, but I was um, I was a hard rock kid. I grew up in a small town, but In Excess was always one of those bands that I kind of kept one of my eyes on because re- they, were, they were just, a, you know, this, the songs were so good. Yeah. Right? And just endless amounts of these great songs, like New Sensation later on. Yeah. But, you know, hit after hit after hit. And, you know, most people who are into hard rock and, and that sort of thing were like, in excess. Right. Yeah. But I, I was always kind of, hmm, I like them. You know? Yeah. I saw them live with Ziggy Marley. Oh. So Ziggy Marley opened and they played. And uh, that was an incredible show. Yeah. Uh, where was that? I think it was. Anyway, it was in Toronto somewhere in like probably 86, 87, somewhere in that zone. And it was an amazing show. Michael Hutchins was an absolutely incredible lead performer for that band. Yeah, like yeah. it was an amazing, very, very cool show. We were just talking about Ziggy Marley on the show. Jake oh, Gold was in. Right. And he said something really interesting that hadn't occurred to me before. He said, because uh, he did a Bob Marley song. So he said, reggae is, is that genre, or Bob Marley rather, is that performer that no one dislikes, right? Regardless of genre, yeah. Right? He applies to everyone in some capacity, and I never had really thought about that before. But he said, you know, you could put Bob Marley on anywhere, and nobody will say, "Shut that off." Yeah, that's right? 100%. isn't that funny? Yeah, he's you're right. right. <laughs> no one is allowed to dislike Bob Marley. It's true. <laughs> He's got like this universal across any genre. Like everybody's cool with Bob Marley. Yeah, I don't know if you ever seen the, um, his documentary. Uh, I'm forgetting what it's called, but he did a couple things really interesting. Bob and his band would always play soccer before they got on stage or went into the recording studio. Yeah. And there's been a lot of research that's come out lately about how exercise primes the brain for creativity. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool that even back then they were doing those um, those tactics to make sure that they were supercharged before they went on stage. Yeah. The other really cool thing about about Bob that people don't 
often associate with him was that he was a relentless perfectionist. He made the Whalers practice for two years before he allowed them on stage to play live in front of a crowd. Two years? They had to get perfect before he allowed them to show what they were up to. No so way. So that's something a lot of people don't know. They think of him as like this, you know, Rasta, weed smoking, whatever. Yeah. But he was a relentless perfectionist in, in what he did as an artist. So pretty cool stuff. Absolutely no idea. Yeah. Wow. I think the, I think the documentary is called Marley. People can check it out. It's pretty good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Jake was saying that Ziggy opened up for The Hip. Um, oh, no way. That would be a cool show. Yeah, in 95. And he said it was the perfect choice and, and that right. he, he led into that point. Uh, next. Funnily enough, Tragically Hip, In View is your song. Right. So um, so we're now we're going to move much later in my life, probably about 15 or 16 years ago, uh, 2005, 14 years ago. I've always been a huge Tragically Hip fan. You know, I grew up in university. I was in university in sort of 89 to 94, which is when the hip were massive. So, you know, it's just like that was a soundtrack to my college career and say. what happened to my life afterwards, which was, you can just imagine what that that entails, which I spent a lot of time in the campus pub and all those, you know. Same. It was amazing. So they are hardwired into into my physiology, no question. I was fortunate enough to be able to see the last uh, the show on the, the final tour in Toronto, which was mm. was incredible, very super emotional. But in um, the mid two thousands, sort of two thousand five, two thousand six, they came through Toronto, and we went down to see them at the what is now the Budweiser Stage, but Ontario Place um, Concert Theater out on the island which is an amazing venue for seeing shows. And we were up in the grass section at the back and it was a typical summer, tragically hip concert. Like it was just, you know, an amazing, mm. incredible experience. Gordani is totally on form. Um, and I went with uh, Judith, who I was dating at the time. Um, and I very, very, very clearly remember, first of all, she got unbelievable scalper tickets, um, <laughs> but she made us disappear as she go went and got them. So I don't know what, anyway, she wouldn't let us come with her when she went to buy the, the scalper tickets, but we got them. And I very, very, very clearly remember being sort of on the grass at the hip show, watching the hip with Judith. And in my brain, I was like, oh my God, this moment is so perfect. And I looked at Judith and I said, yeah, no, I need that. This is who I'm going to marry. And I don't know how that, I mean, obviously I was ready to make that decision, but it was like a light switch went on in my brain. Yeah, no, this is going to happen. And that's when I made the commitment in my mind to be like, you know what? I think I want to spend the rest of my life with Judith. And I don't know what song was playing at the time, but that's sort of my favorite hip song. I know they did play it. And that was a a very, very cool moment in my life that, you know, that made that that night obviously a lot more special. Eventually she said yes many, many, many months later. But uh, yeah. What's your uh, favorite hip album? This is World probably, Container, I think, right? That was World Container. Probably Trouble in the hen, at the Hen House. Oh, really? I think because it was early on. It's sort of like that's that's when I really started to get into those guys. And I just not just listened to that one, you know, so many times. Yeah. I also actually really like Gord's last album, which is based just him and a piano and a guitar. Right. Um, I forget the name of that album, but I've listened to it a fair bit over the last couple of years. And it's kind of unique and really, really cool. So, yeah, I like that one as well. See, it's funny when you said that about university, it was also the soundtrack to my university career because I'd heard up to here and then there's enough interest in that. Yeah. Road Apples was fantastic. Yeah. I thought that's my favorite record. But then like there was an anticipation for Fully Completely yeah. and uh, Day for Night. It literally was a soundtrack to everything that you were doing in yeah. your life at that time. I also I've always loved live albums. Yeah. So for I, I've I've gravitated towards live music my whole life. The Hip album that night in Toronto is pretty yes. awesome as a yeah. live show. Uh, that's probably up there. It's one of my top 
yeah. live albums ever, yeah. I think. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Who fan, so Live at Leeds is pretty good. There's a, a Peter Gabriel live in Athens that I thought was really, really good. Sting Live in Berlin is a really good good album. Like, There's a bunch of very specific live albums that I'll listen to over and over and over and over again. You can hear you know, the, the organic aspect of the songs, obviously, more live. Yeah, I've always gravitated towards live albums. And the reason why I like them so much is they're like 90 minutes, maybe two hours long. Yeah. And if you listen to it, and if it is actually one concert that they've played, I don't love the live albums where they pick and choose show, songs from various different shows. Because mm-hmm. there's always a flow and a cadence to a concert. Right. So it starts massive energy. They usually calm down a little bit in the middle and then ramp it up and towards the end. And the great bands, you can see how they play off of each other. You can see how they get into a specific rhythm with and energy and a feel to certain songs that build so far above and beyond what they can do in the studio. Yes. Uh, and the bands that can really take off in a different direction, I think are, are really, Dave Matthews obviously is one that's spectacular at doing that. Yep. But yeah, that's, that's what I love most about those live albums. Are you a Black Crows fan? I love the Black Crows. I saw the Black Crows play with Robert Plant. What? In about 1991. Where was that? In Calgary. It was insane. And, you know, and then um, it's funny enough because the Black Crows did a live album with Jimmy with Page. With Jimmy Page, yeah. Which I've actually just started listening to because I found it on um, Tidal, which is an album, uh, yeah. a music service online that I that I use. If you can imagine Black Crows playing Zeppelin songs with Robert Plant in the early 90s, that was just like- I had no idea My that brain happened. exploded when I was at that show. That was yeah. really wild. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, they do the same thing, Greg. They'll do like a, a spontaneous jam. right. And there's there's this magic about it because you could never they probably don't do it the same way twice really yeah and that's the magic of live um, performances really yeah I think so that's yeah. why I will always go um, to live shows as often as I possibly can yeah. so, as much as I can afford basically <laughs> yeah all right Brian Adams is next with Summer '69 right which and that sort of leads in, leads into this idea of you know as many shows as I can afford. So I've got kids now, and I've got Adam and Ingrid, and they're amazing. Adam's younger. He's only four. Ingrid's nine. And she loves music. And I've always made a point of playing music literally from, you know, the, from conception all the way through until like right now, we've always we've always played good music and tried to play good music in the house. And I, after the 2010 Olympics and commentated that, one of the treats I gave myself um, after that was buying a pair of Bang & Olufsen speakers. So that oh, nice. great music in our home, right? And so um, I'm still paying them off, but they're <laughs> worth having nine years later. And um, so I've always played lots of music and I know that, you know, it's great for kids and they both, uh, you know, they've both always danced in the living room and stuff like that. I've actually put up concerts on whatever, wherever you can find them and played them so the kids see what it looks like to play live music. And for some reason, um, Ingrid gravitated towards Cuts Like a Knife, Next to You and Summer of 69 on Brian Adams. He did a MTV live show. Yeah. And so he, she sort of gravitated towards those and asked to start hearing those songs more and more and more. Hmm. And we played them a lot in the car going to and from swim practice. And then I was, um, Brian Adams was coming to Toronto. I've never seen him live. No, like neither I, have I. In all of my life, I've never gone to see him. I like his music, but like, you know, I wasn't a huge fan, but I've always liked his music. And then we went to, so I was like, we're going to go to the show. And I was like, well, if we're going to go to the show, I might as well sit front row. If it's her first concert, right? Like we're going to yeah. go and like, actually she saw Blue Rodeo with my mom and dad. So, but first concert with me. And so we got front row seats off to the left of the stage so that if we needed to sort of move out of the way, we could easily, um, I brought her headphones that she could, you know, noise cancellation headphones if she needed them. And she got dressed up in this beautiful blue dress from India because we had just been in India. Yeah. 
And she was primed. She was so fired up. Like she went absolutely <laughs> mental throughout the entire show. That's great. And on the summer of 69, I actually stepped back and videotaped it because she was Keith Scott, the guitar player, came over to her side of the stage and played that whole song basically right in front of her. And whatever he did, she mirrored. It was like a carbon copy of the two of them. She was wildly engaged. Uh, so then, of course, you know, she goes absolutely mental. He's laughing yeah. at what's going on right in front of him, right? Because he can't great. miss it. Yeah. It's a little tiny blonde thing in, in a big, huge blue dress. Um, so at the end, then he comes down and gives her the, the, her, his guitar pick. Oh, nice. Uh, Brian Adam came over, gave her his guitar pick. At That's the end great. of the show, they came over, they gave her the set list. Oh, wow. Like she thought this is a normal concert experience, <laughs> right? So, yeah, so that was, uh, you know, as a parent now being able to start to uh, transfer love of music to my kids, whatever it happens to be. I think that that's sort of one of the new great joys of yes. life is the ability to be able to actually like take them to a cool show. Um, I took my nephew, uh, Declan, to see Robert Plant. We weren't front row, but we were pretty darn close, right? Yep. In like second or third row or whatever. And 11 or 12 years old now, loves Zeppelin. Uh, and he's like into old rock, right? Isn't that and great? So for him to see those songs played live by Robert Plant, granted he's a little older, his voice is a little bit different, but he's still a master. You're seeing one of the great masters of oh, yeah. that's still going to be listened to in 100 years and 200 years, right? There's yeah. a few people that will still be listened to uh, centuries from now. So that was another really, really cool show yeah. to be able to take a young one to go see, right? Yeah, for neat. sure. Yeah. And that's going to stick. I hope so. It definitely will. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. All right. Uh, speaking of great live acts, Foo Fighters, times like these. Oh, my God. Uh, this is another band that I was aware of, you know, earlier on in my life, but have really come to start listening a lot to mm -hmm. recently. Yeah. So, I mean, Dave Grohl is just so incredible. I don't know if you saw some of the videos from the show where he broke his leg, but he still carried out the entire tour with a cast on his leg yeah. playing guitar from like that. That, you know, Game of Thrones style. That big throne with the guitars on it. Yeah. That he was in. <laughs> and times like these really resonates for me these days because, you know, as I'm getting a little bit older, uh, shockingly, I'm becoming aware of my own mortality, even though I've nearly killed myself many, many, many times <laughs> throughout my life. Now I'm actually like aware that it's real. And that's just a song that reminds me to live in the moment, which is kind of how I'm trying to live a lot of my life these days. Like just bring yourself back into the moment. When you're with your kids, be present with your kids. When you're with your wife, be with your wife. When I'm on stage speaking, be on stage speaking. When I'm yeah. trying to coach someone, I'm trying to coach them. When I'm out for a run, I'm trying to be on my run, right? When I'm out paddleboarding on the lake, I'm trying to be on the lake paddleboarding, not somewhere else in my mind. Yeah. That song really highlights for me loving life and appreciating what's happening to you in the moment and understanding that all moments pass and uh, you need to be aware of what's going on around you or else you're going to sort of blink and you're going to be on your deathbed with a lot of regrets. And the only way, the only thing that I want on my way out is to have no regrets or as few as possible. Mm. And that's just a, a very cool song that reminds you like live in the moment, pay attention to what's happening around you, understand that every moment is special and live, 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 live like crazy right here, right now. And that's the key. Well said. I think. And a great finish to uh, a great discussion. Thanks very much, Greg. I really appreciate it. Oh my God, it was so much fun. I could talk about music and bands all day long, so and I'm super need psyched. to come back. <laughs> so it's typically, you know, it's impossible to just have five. Yeah, right? that's right. So people always say, okay, I've got five more. I think we talked to like 50, but anyway, like to at least 20. We snuck 20 in there, I'm sure. <laughs> or at least a lot of different, we probably got about 10 different artists in there, so <laughs> I doubled right. up on you. <laughs> it happens all the yeah. time, don't worry. 
<laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Anytime. All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Dr. Greg Wells. Until next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. <laughs>